1: With our driver lineup together with the switch we made now to the Mercedes power unit together with everything I'm seeing within the team. I feel ready again for this challenge and for this battle. Hopefully we can give our competitors again
0: a hot time. Hello and welcome along to Beyond the Grid with me Tom Clarkson. There's not long to wait until the start of the season. And could there be a change in the pecking order when we get underway in Bahrain this weekend? That's what we're all asking. And it's a question no doubt being posed in the corridors of power at the McLaren Technology Center. After finishing third in the 2020 Constructors' Championship behind only Mercedes and Red Bull, can McLaren close the gap further to the top two teams this year? Well, I'm delighted to say that a man who can tell us more is my guest this week. McLaren team principal, Andreas Seidel. Lando Norris comes over the line to take fifth position, and Carlos Sainz crosses in sixth to elevate up the McLaren to third place in the Constructors' Championship. Yes! Oh, he did
1: it, Andres Orlando Great job, well done, all season. Great points for the team, and uh, yeah, great step forward also on your on your side in your second season. Thanks for everything. See you back here.
0: Cheers, Andres. Nice, we did it, boys. sidler has been at McLaren since May 2019. He left his mark immediately, updating the management structure, and he then instigated longer-term strategic decisions, such as this year's switch to Mercedes power and the arrival of Daniel Ricciardo. On paper, both changes look sensible, very sensible. But you shouldn't be surprised, because although Andreas is only 45 years old, he already has 20 years experience of top-level motorsport. He started in Formula One with BMW when they supplied engines to Williams. He then switched with BMW to Sauber in 2006, where he stayed until they withdrew from Formula One three years later. Stints in the DTM and the World Endurance Championship followed, during which time he oversaw three Le Mans 24-hour wins for Porsche. And it was at Le Mans that McLaren CEO Zach Brown approached him about fronting the team's Formula One programme. We discuss it all in a fascinating chat and never before have I heard him be so open and so candid. You'll love hearing how he got his first job with BMW, as well as his thoughts on drivers and other teams. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Andreas, it's great to see you. First up, where are you in the world at the minute? Are you in Bahrain? Are you in Woking? Are you in Munich? Where are you? Yeah, we were flying back with
1: the team after the test back to to the UK for the final preparations and then uh, looking forward to flying out again uh, beginning of next week to finally get back to racing again.
0: So look, that test you referred to, it's been a very solid pre-season for McLaren, hasn't it? What's the mood in the camp right now? Well, as you can imagine, there's
1: only one week to go until we finally hit the track again uh, for free practice. So everyone is pumped up, excited to finally get going again. Uh, curious to find out how good is the job that we have done as a team over winter and finally see in the first qualifying then in Bahrain and in the, at the first race where we actually are in the in the packing order. I think we feel well prepared as a team after the great job I would say everyone has done uh, over winter at McLaren together with the guys also from, from Mercedes. It was a huge challenge uh, with the pandemic Being still uh, full on, but with everything I have seen now in the last month, uh, with the way the test also went, um, yeah, I think we can be pretty happy. And I would say we we are ready to go racing again.
0: Can we talk a little bit more about the package, the McLaren Mercedes package? Because you guys had the most to do of any teams and yet you were the first to run the new car. I just can't quite get my head around how you managed to do that.
1: Well, yeah, as you said, it was obviously a, a big job uh, to change power units uh, over winter. But as said several times, uh, luckily we have some experience at McLaren to change power units. Uh, after we had to do this uh, a few times in in recent years, and then, uh, yeah, I think simply want to want to say as well that uh, with the experience also the guys in at Mercedes have it worked out really really well. And we shouldn't forget all this all had to be done in in pretty much home office uh, conditions or in a home office environment all the development has been done remotely but thanks to great teamwork really from uh, between the guys in Brixworth and our guys we managed to do the job in time Uh, we had a very ambitious timeline because we wanted to leave a bit of a buffer also before the first fire up before the first filming days and, and the first test in order to be able to to react in case there is an issue but luckily so far it worked really really well everything I've seen In terms of the integration of the Mercedes power unit, but at the same time, we are still, let's say also, yeah, still have a a lot of respect of the, of the challenge. Still, we shouldn't forget next week when we go to Bahrain, it will be the first time that we will yeah go through some race weekend specific scenarios, like a qualifying, like a race together in this, in this new partnership. Uh, under under the pressure also of a race weekend and uh, I'm sure there's still a lot to learn together but I guess the team has done a great job um, again together with guys from, from Mercedes to prepare for these different scenarios we could pretty much tick all the boxes uh, we had on our list um, going into into the test um, in Bahrain last week so also here we feel prepared and uh, yeah curious to see where, where this actually ends up.
0: And were you surprised by your reliability during the test? Because over three days you did 327 laps, which is huge. And was that more than you you were expecting? I suppose
1: I would not say surprised because obviously I've seen uh, the thorough preparation the team has done in order to make sure we have a we have a good test. And with uh, seeing how the fire up went, uh, how the filming days went, uh, we we felt quite prepared. And in terms of number of laps uh, compared to to our competitors, I don't think we did did a huge number of laps compared to some other teams. But we we went to Bahrain to the test with a, let's say with with some clear objectives and with a, a test program which had the right balance between doing enough number of laps to make sure we're on top of the reliability of things, but at the same time. Uh, we had a test program lined up, which ensured that we, we could do a lot of test points, which also meant that we had to do some changes on the car, which took some time, which uh, didn't allow us, let's say, to do more laps. But looking back now at the three days, um, I think we could, let's say, complete the program as it, as it has been planned. And uh, therefore, uh, yeah, we were all very happy when we left the track on uh, Sunday night
0: talking about those test points are people making too big a deal of your diffuser solution well uh, headlines all over the place i would say
1: i would say that's something we will find out in the next uh, weeks and month Uh, it will be interesting if others will follow if they see the same potential that we have seen uh, when we develop this this solution Um, just can say huge congratulations and head off to to our aerodynamic department let's say who who developed this, this solution. We are convinced it's, it's, uh, it's the right way to go in order to maximise, let's say, the, the potential of the regulations. But again, in the end, the only thing that matters is the lap times. <laughs> we will see uh, from uh, the first race weekend onwards and then uh, I think let's review again in a, in a couple of months.
0: Was innovation like that in the DNA of the team or has it been something that you've tried to instil
1: I guess it's it's part of Formula 1, part of the DNA of Formula 1 as well, part of the, the DNA also of, of McLaren. Also of McLaren, when we look back at things like FDAC and so on, to, to always try to find solutions that are not mainstream, uh, innovative solutions. Of course, we, we try to encourage our people a lot to, to go aggressive with developments, to find uh, solutions that are not mainstream. At the same time, that's obviously uh, easily said, but not easily done. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of uh, brains uh, working hard every day in order to find such solutions. And it's obviously great to see that when you you hit the track first time after winter and you actually see that we have
0: found a, a unique solution. And so that leads me to goals for the season.
1: What are they? For me, it's simply important that we simply continue the journey we are in at the moment at McLaren. For me, uh, the goal is clearly again to get closer to the Red Bulls and Mercedes cars in front of us, something which we also managed to do last year. In order to do that, we simply need to make sure uh, we make the next step again as a team, the way how we work together. We need to make the next step also with the the understanding of the car and the development of the car. And then obviously in terms of positions, uh, the target is clear. We want to fight at the front of this battle again, where we have been in last year. Uh, I think we need to be realistic. That will be the battle we will be in again. We have a lot of respect for all the competitors we were fighting with last year. And they have the same ambition uh, that we have. Uh, They have the same talents on board that we have. But together with with our driver lineup, together with the switch we made now to the Mercedes power unit, together with everything I'm seeing within the team, I feel ready again for this, for this challenge and for this battle. And uh, hopefully we can give our competitors a hard time, can use opportunities when they come up also to fight higher up, to beat uh, one or the other time, maybe a Red car as well or a Mercedes car in case there's, there are opportunities. And uh, yeah, that's how we
0: tackle this season. And do you think the regulation stability means that the whole field is going to be closer together in 2021?
1: Difficult to say at the moment. I think if you look at the picture we got from the Bahrain test, which was not easy to get a clear picture, I think we will clearly see again the Red Bull cars and the Mercedes cars in, in front, but probably a bit of a margin again. But then with everything we have seen behind, I think we can expect a battle of yeah, six, or, six or seven teams, which is quite close, which is again within a, a few tenths, which is great for the fans, great for the show. Um, Great for us as long as we are on, on top of that battle. Stability of the regulations. Yeah, not sure really if we can can talk about stability. Of course, there's some elements of the cars that have been have been uh, frozen, which could lead into, yeah, simply having the same packing order again compared to last year. But on the other hand, the changes we have seen on the aero side, especially at the rear of the car, uh, on the aero regulation side, that actually meant that it was quite a bit of a reset. and. Uh, each team had to do quite some aero development over winter in order to try to get some downforce back. And it will be interesting to see how everyone, let's say, was coping with this challenge and uh, what that means in the end for the packing order also.
0: Now, Mercedes have come out since the test and said that Red Bull are the team to beat, certainly at the first race of the year. Is that how you see it?
1: Well, I don't give anything on all these comments that I'm reading at the moment. Uh in the end, we have to wait for for the Bahrain qualifying and the race to see where everyone is. I expect uh, Mercedes to be back at the place where they have been last year. I would hope for the for the fans for Formula One that uh, we actually see a, a good battle between Mercedes and and Red Bull at the front. I hope also that the gap to the other teams then, including us, is is closer than than last year because also then uh, it would simply mean uh, there would be a better show. We would be closer to taking opportunities when they come up. Uh, We would be more often in a position to maybe fight for a podium spot. That's what I'm hoping for.
0: Lando, the gap to Hamilton was 4.8, 4.8. I think that's a podium, mate. I think that's a podium. Yeah, Daniel Ricciardo for the first time since 2018 and Monaco is going to get back onto the podium. Is that a f- podium? <laughs> That's a f- podium. Yeah, nice eh? shot, <laughs> it. F- podium, Daniel. Thank you. Stop it. <laughs> I gave him 10 seconds. I said, you'll start laughing within 10 seconds. I don't want to. Okay. Um... Let's talk drivers. Daniel Ricciardo new to McLaren this year. What are your first impressions of him?
1: There's a reason why we wanted to get him on board, why I wanted to have him on board. The most important thing for me, obviously, is speed in qualifying, speed in the race, and the way how he's going racing. And with everything I've seen so far, uh, there were no surprises. (laughs) So I'm really looking forward to go racing with him now uh, from next week onwards, because he's a reference we were missing in the team. He has shown in the past that he can win races if he has the, the right material. And I think he will be key for us to make the next step also as a team. He will be very important also, a good reference for Lando's development as well. And uh, yeah, then in addition, he's simply a great personality, a great character with a lot of positivity, a lot of energy, which simply helps us in the team, helps me in order to make sure we keep pushing forward uh, every day.
0: What has impressed you the most about Daniel?
1: Again, what I simply admire with these guys is the the performance they're pulling off week by week. And uh, as I said before, that's the reason why I wanted to get him on board. I uh, admired him since since many many years. For me, it was always great to see also in, in in different circumstances, in different teams, how he was pulling it off, race weekend by race weekend. How he kept the level of energy also up. You shouldn't forget how intense it is if you're in Formula One for ten years. But I still see with him this this commitment this hunger to get back to a position to win races and hopefully also fight for a championship at some point and hopefully he can do this together with us that it's obviously the, the ultimate
0: goal we have together with him how long have you been courting each other is it true that you wanted to get him involved in Porsche's Le Mans program was it back in 2014 have I got that right
1: yeah I think we had a conversation end of 2014 uh, in the preparation of the 2015 season when we had this third car ah, the
0: one that hulkenberg eventually took
1: yeah um where, where nico then ended up in the car and actually could could win the race i wasn't sure if he makes it in formula one so i wanted to give him a way out and give him an opportunity in car. No, that's just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> He'll love no. That. Uh, yeah no I, I knew he was interested in in doing it but at the time it didn't work out because he didn't get the the allowance from Red Bull side uh, to do it because I think it was his first year being at Red Bull and uh, Red Bull wanted at the time his full full focus on on the Lemo project. But uh, yeah, already there, uh, I followed quite closely what what he was doing in the different cars he he was in already at that time, and uh, I always admired his on and off track
0: performance. And have you tried to get him in the team before now? I think it's widely known
1: that. Zach tried already, I think in 2018, so before my time, to get him on board. Uh, It didn't work out at that time. Uh, So we were very happy that it finally worked out. Because again, as I said before, I think he will be a key element for us to make the next step as a team. And uh, yeah, just happy now that it worked out.
0: Can you talk to me about the partnership between Daniel and Lando Norris? Do you see sort of similarities between them with uh, Lando and Carlos last year?
1: Yeah, I would say it's too early still to say how that partnership will look like um, in the future. For us, for me, it's uh, very important that we also don't try artificially to put something up again, similar to what we have seen between Carlos and Lando. Every driver is different, different personality, different character. And uh, it'll simply be interesting how that, how that goes. Most important thing for me is that they both have a good working relationship, which in the end helps us to to move forward as a team. And everything I've seen so far um, I like a lot. There's an open exchange between the two guys uh, between the two car crews, also the engineering crews in, in terms of uh, the next steps we want to take on the on the technical side with the with car. Which is which is important or is key for developing the the car and uh, yeah that's important for me of course both guys are bring a lot of fun to the team uh, they're both very very positive which again is is very important for me also as a as a team boss because the schedule we are in as a team is is intense uh, you do not always have just great days and then it's very important that these heroes of the sport are Staying positive, go in the garage and uh, pump up the guys again in order to make sure we are back on track again the next day after having, for example, a day which was not so good, for example. And uh, I really like how how Daniel and Lando see their role also, uh, the importance also of their role within the team.
0: And this is Lando's third season in Formula One. When you compare him now to the driver that came in At the start of 2019, what differences do you see?
1: Uh, He obviously evolved a lot as a person and as a driver, which is also normal. Uh, We shouldn't forget uh, how young Lando still is. And uh, it is obviously a big step for a young driver to jump into Formula One. It's not about just driving quick in circles. Uh, There's a lot of other stuff also ongoing, which is quite demanding outside of the car. All the the marketing which is involved as well, all the publicity, all the media commitments you have and uh in order to get on top of this uh together with making sure you're performing on track is a is a big big challenge and I have to say I really like the steps I have seen Lando has made in the in these first two years in in Formula one and also when i I look at let's say the last month following him, I can see again he makes the next step or he made the next step in terms of personality in terms of his approach also uh, towards this season he seems to me to be in a really good place in in, in good form on top of his game. And uh, I think together with Daniel, we will have very strong, great driver lineup, a healthy competition between the two guys also, which is important uh, because in the end that will keep driving us forward as a
0: team. Is Lando aware that this is an important season for him? Well, I guess every season is important for him. Uh, Coming
1: into Formula One as a rookie, it's important you clearly make steps in your first years in order to confirm to yourself, to the team, that you actually have everything you need in order to become a top guy. But again, when I see how Lando performed in his first and in his second year, when I see the step he made for, it to, for the second year, I'm uh, absolutely convinced he has everything uh, to become a top guy in Formula One. I think he has everything he needs in order to compete also with, with Daniel. And uh, yeah, simply looking forward to see him again performing well for us this year.
0: Because this is the first time that Lando's been compared directly to a proven race winner in Formula One, isn't it? Yeah, true. And uh,
1: that's why it was also important for us to get Daniel on board, also for Lando, to simply have this reference within the team because it will be clear reference also for, for Lando and for Lando's development. And uh, let's say my in my ideal world, Daniel will come in, uh, would be half a second quicker, Lando would see it and he drives uh, an hour later also half a second quicker because it would mean we move up by half a second but uh, there will be a reality. I think Lando has shown last year already uh, with his performances that he's a top guy. Again I expect a very tight battle between these two guys but I expect as well that both guys will collect again a lot of points for us which was a strength of our team in the last two years that we had these that we always had two drivers. Uh, being able to to score good points, which in the end secured us also these uh, great positions we could achieve in the constructors' championship.
0: Before we move on from drivers, Daniel is famous for having bets with people. He had a bet with his previous boss at Renault, and the tattoo is still, I think, on the cards for Cyril Abitbol. Has he had any bets with you?
1: Well, I think everyone who knows me uh, knows that uh, I leave this stuff uh, to the heroes of our sport, to the to the drivers. I'm not keen to get involved into this side of the, of the
0: things. And I think we leave it like that. <laughs> okay, you've been told, Daniel. Uh, look, What about your time at McLaren, Andreas? Let's reflect on that because uh, it's now your third season. How different is the team now to when you arrived in the middle of 2019?
1: I guess uh, we obviously made, made a lot of changes, positive changes to the team, which are in the end also paying off in terms of uh, results. Uh, when I look back, it was simply important after Zuck started already a kind of a reset to the team uh, the year before that I also, yeah, have put up straight away, let's say, a clear structure uh, with uh, my leadership team because I definitely saw that uh, clear leadership, a clear structure was was missing, and I'm I'm very happy with uh, the let's say traditional organisation I have in place now at McLaren. I have a great leadership team with uh, James Key as technical director, with Andrea Stella as racing director, and with, uh, with uh, Piers Thin as um, operations director. And uh, it was simply important uh, in 2019 to uh, work out as a team, together with my leadership team, together with the entire team. Clearly, where we see the deficits uh, within the team, it was important to work out as quickly as possible a clear plan of how we want to reduce these deficits. In the next years and uh, compared to the teams that were running in front of us a clear plan of how we want to get back to the front in formula one from then onwards it was simply important to put these different steps in place and i'm happy with what we could achieve already in the last two years in terms of the steps we could make but at the same time it's also clear we still have a a long way to go it's important that we need to get let's say our infrastructure in place which then hopefully, or which which should bring us then to a level playing field with the uh, with the teams uh, like like Mercedes, Red Bull, or Ferrari. Uh, something which we are able to do now after the announcement of the of the new investors in December. It's important we keep working on the on the team side to simply become an, an even better team uh, in the way we work together and so on. I'm very happy with what I'm I'm seeing there. We have a lot of talented, a lot of committed people in the team and uh, there's a lot of good energy within the team especially after the good results we could also achieve in the last two years and uh, this combined with the positive news also about the investment that I spoke about before I think we have everything in place now that we need in order to make the, the next steps then towards the front in Formula One over the next uh, years and now we simply need time uh, we need to keep our heads down need to keep working hard and then uh, hopefully we see the results
0: this traditional motorsport structure that you talk about replaced a sort of matrix setup that was there prior to your arrival can you explain why you think the matrix setup doesn't work in Formula One
1: well I can't judge in detail obviously what was in place at McLaren uh, before my time because I haven't experienced it but I was always a big friend uh, in my motorsport life to have a clear, easy-to-understand structure in place with clear responsibilities, clear reporting lines, because that's, from my point of view and uh, from my experience, the way how you can be successful in, in, in Formula 1. And uh, that's why it was clear for me also to put that in place as quickly as, as possible. At the same time, Formula 1 is a big big team sport of uh, yeah six, seven, eight hundred people it's not just about uh, the leadership team, it's about every single member of the team. It's important that every single member of the team waking up in the morning knows exactly how important his specific, his individual role is for the overall outcome of uh, what we do every day. And uh, that was also something we, we put a lot of energy in, uh, in order to make sure that people feel valued and uh, are aware about their importance and uh, putting all that together. In the end, we try to lift this energy which is available in such a such a team of, of talents in order to make sure we all walk in the same direction. Uh, we all work towards the same goals. We all have the under, same understanding of what we have to work on in order to get better uh, on the team side or on the car side. And uh, I'm happy with the steps we could make already. At the same time, when you look at the lap times Mercedes is doing and uh, Red Bull, we're also are aware that we still have some work to do.
0: Can you explain a little bit about the relationship you have with Zach? I mean, can you remember the first time he approached you about the job and how it's evolved since then?
1: Yeah, I still remember when we spoke about it first time. It was actually at Le Mans, I think in 2018, when he was showing me around in his uh, United Autosport garage, (laughs) which was inspirational because it was just great to see how passionate he is about
0: motorsport in any kind of racing. Did you find yourself thinking... Why am I being shown <laughs> around the United? Uh, there's an ulterior motive. Here. <laughs> no,
1: uh, there was nothing, nothing big behind it. But as I said, it was just great to see how passionate he is for all kind of, of racing. Him still believing he would be a great race driver as well after his uh, tries uh, when he was when he was younger. Zach is the the CEO of, of McLaren Racing, so in terms of hierarchy, is also also my boss. Uh, he takes care about everything. On top of us, uh, he's dealing with the shareholders. He's dealing with uh, Paul Walsh as the, the chairman of the group. I think we have found a, a very good split in terms of responsibilities. Zach obviously takes care about all the commercial things. He's in charge also of, of the other racing projects, like the IndyCar project, and maybe also some other projects in the future. And what I simply like is the way how, how we deal with each other, how we work together. It's a, it's a partnership with a, a very good and open, transparent uh, working relationship. We have a lot of exchange on, on on, different things. And it's simply great to see that we are quite aligned in, in how we see things. And for me, it's important. He gives me the, the freedom and the support at the same time in order to do, again, things like how I want to do them. That gives me the possibility to bring also in my, my experience, my style of how I want to lead the, the, the Formula One team, Zack, in the end, what I, what I like a lot is is he's simply a racer. He, he understands what I try to to achieve in terms of all the spirit and culture uh, within the team. And he's very supportive on that. Uh, what I like also is how we, in the end, manage to make quick decisions. Uh, there's a lot of WhatsApps as the main communication uh, tool, very non-corporate, which is something... I have to say it's a very positive experience after working for German AGs for nearly 20 years. And last but not least, it's uh, it's simply fun. What we're doing here in Formula 1 is, uh, despite Formula 1 being a big business, it's a a people sport. It's about the human beings being involved and uh, everything goes a lot easier if it's fun.
0: Indeed. So he leaves the day-to-day running of the team to you. And then what do you discuss the big decisions. We need a new wind tunnel. We want to hire Daniel Ricardo. Is it that level that you talk to him about?
1: Yeah, in the end, Zach uh, doesn't get involved in the in the daily business of running the team. That's my my responsibility. But of course, whenever it's about big decisions to make, or or, or simply also to to exchange views, I, I, I have the, the permanent exchange uh, with him, which which works out great. We think what I think we need in order to get back to the front. And uh, I have to say, I couldn't be happier with a uh, with setup uh, Zach and myself have, have, have found also between ourselves.
0: And how nervous were you about joining McLaren? As I said earlier, you joined, what was it, 1st of May 2019. But the last race of 2018, I think the cars had been lapped in Abu Dhabi. And I assume that's when you were right at the height of your negotiations with Zach. Did that fill you with fear or did you see it as an opportunity?
1: No, I wasn't nervous at all or scared. That's uh, the challenge I was looking for. Uh, I was fully aware of the challenge being a big one, but at the same time, that's what I like. I like to wake up in the morning with the challenge ahead of me. In the end, it was important for me to see with all the talks I had with Bizzak and the, and the shareholders that there is a huge commitment in order to bring this team back up the order in, in Formula 1. A uh, huge commitment also on the financial side because there's no miracles. You need the budget also in order to make sure you can put the infrastructure in place and in order you to make sure you can compete with, with, uh, with the top guys in, in Formula 1. And then uh, it was simply very attractive to me to become a part of, of McLaren. For sure, also because of the, the great history this team has, because and I guess it's the same for every single member of the McLaren Formula One team. There is nothing better than being part of the generation at McLaren that hopefully brings this tap, uh, team back up to where it has been in the past and to, to win some races again. That's That gives me a lot of energy thinking about that. That drives me out of bed in the morning. And again, I'm I'm very happy with what we could achieve already in the last two years. I'm very, let's say, optimistic with everything. I'm seeing that we can make further steps in the next years and uh, hopefully we can achieve it then one day.
0: And how much pride do you get in managing McLaren? Does it mean more than if you were managing another team?
1: Obviously, I'm very proud to be a member of the McLaren uh, Formula 1 team and I'm very proud when we can achieve results like we could the last two years, but it's not about myself. In the end, it's about... The results we we are achieving as a, as a result of a, of a big team effort. For me, the greatest reward after a good race weekend or after a good season is to see all the boys and girls of McLaren smiling in the garage, seeing them that they are happy with what we could achieve as a team. That gives me the energy to do 23 races a year. That gives me the energy to accept some compromises on the private side in order to make sure you can put in all this, this hard work. And uh, that's what drives me.
0: Who are your inspirations, Andreas, in, in a motorsporting sense? Who in history have you looked up to, or who have you worked with in the past, who you've learned a lot from?
1: I mean, it all started, to be honest, with, with Michael, Michael Schumacher. He was the hero of my childhood. As a kid, let's say in 92, 93, I started to watch Formula 1 really in detail because of Michael, and that's where also this desire came up uh, in myself to work one day in, in Formula One. That's where I started to watch all three practice sessions to study lap times, etc., uh, etc. Et and then later on, I have to say, I, I met a lot of people during my career. I met a lot of bosses also that I admired a lot for the way they were also dealing with me. They empowered me to do things in the way I think I wanted to do them. They gave me a lot of freedom and support at the same time which allowed me always to perform and also to show that I can actually contribute and uh, that's something I try a lot also with with my leadership team with my people and that's something I want to have throughout the the team uh, is, is empowerment trust because that's uh, how people have fun going to work and uh, for me it's very important that you have fun when you go to work because again you can't do 23 races you can't do the extra miles every day If it's not fun hmm?
0: that is true so even when you were studying engineering at the technical university in munich was the goal formula one back then or yeah
1: my goal was always clear i wanted to work in in formula one i always had this dream to be once on the grid in monaco working there as a as an engineer that was always something i had in mind and uh, i have to say when i was lucky enough to do that then first time i think it was in 2003 as a engine engineer for for Ralf Schumacher, it felt good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Monaco is special. It's unlike anywhere else, isn't it? Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that. So you were working for BMW at the time. Of course, it was BMW engines in the Williams. How did that opportunity come about with BMW?
1: Yeah, quite a funny story, actually. Um, I was still studying mechanical engineering at the Technical University in Munich. And I saw, I think in beginning of 1999, that BMW announced that they enter Formula One again. It was also announced that a guy called uh, Mario Tyson is actually running the project. Um, Dr. So, Mario Tyson. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so
1: <laughs> I, I saw that. I took the phone <laughs> and just called the, let's say the central number of BMW and asked if they can connect me to Mario Tyson. And at that time it was still possible. So they, they have put me through. And uh, he was actually on the other end at that time. And, uh, yeah, I have to say, or I have to admit, I guess at the beginning, he thought I'm a, I'm a bit crazy. <laughs> he wasn't really convinced that he needs me at that time. And uh, yeah, it wasn't a long phone call. But I did the same again for two, three times. And then at some point, he simply had enough and said, OK, let's come by. And uh, that was my start into Formula One. So I got the, cho- I got the chance uh, to do a traineeship, end of 99. And again, I had a boss there that allowed me to simply show also that I can contribute. It took me then over straight away after I finished my studies uh, as an engineer. And uh, I never left that sport then again
0: afterwards. What a fantastic story. That's, that's incredible. And actually hats off to Mario Tyson for, for being open-minded about, you know, a young guy still at university as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And
1: that's also something I, I will never forget. He gave me this chance But I think also it simply shows that if you want to do something, uh, make sure you don't give up. After the first no, it's important to believe in your dreams and sometimes go go on the nerve of some people uh, in order to make sure you still get what you want.
0: I've got this feeling, Andreas, that an awful lot of students are going to be ringing the switchboard at McLaren now asking to speak to Andreas Seidel. (laughs) Those early years in Formula 1 were with Williams. I'd love to just get your thoughts on memories of working with Frank Williams and Patrick Head. How do you reflect on that time?
1: Yeah, for me as a as a young engineer, it was obviously great to start Formula 1 like that. Frank and Patrick, they again were both heroes of my childhood as well. They were always trying to help Damon in order to beat Michael. <laughs> and uh, yeah... I still remember when I met uh, at the track Patrick first time uh, with his loud voice in the, in the engineering truck after a bad test day where he put everything straight in this truck, <laughs> uh, which was great fun. But uh, it was just great for me. And I was so excited also to meet these guys first time. And when I think back about uh, about Frank, I, I really admired the way he was, was dealing with his team and also with us uh, from BMW side. Uh, the respect he showed towards his people, coming by in the garage every morning, coming by at night when he was leaving the track, saying goodbye to every single member of the team, remembering the names as well. That's something I admired a lot, and it's also something where I have learned from a lot, I have to say.
0: And do you have a favourite engine from that period? The 3.5-litre V10 or the V8?
1: I have to say I like the V10 a lot because that was also the the first engine I, I was allowed to work on where I worked on the dynos in 2000 and 2001, making sure they, they get reliable and powerful. And they were powerful. Uh, we had a good engine, I think, at at the time. Yeah, that was, for me, really very, very exciting to come out of straight of university and, and straight away having the possibility to work on Formula One engines on V10s for a great brand like BMW
0: was great. And you will have worked with some great drivers during that time with Williams. Ralph, as you mentioned, Montoya, Button, Heidfeld, Weber. Do you have a favorite out of those guys?
1: Oh, I need to be very careful now with what I say. <laughs> 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 yeah, I still remember one story, which uh, hopefully Ralph doesn't take it in a, in a, in a bad way. For me, obviously, being uh, or Michael being my childhood hero. Then I, I had the chance to be race engine engineer for Rolf, for which, was, which was great. Yeah, we, had, we regularly obviously had, had dinners also at, at race weekends, and I still remember 2003. Um, and then I was sitting with Rolf, and he said, yeah, do you mind if Michael is coming by as well? And I uh, was <laughs> I had to play cool, yeah, yeah, it's no problem for me. And I still remember how, how excited I, I have been actually, that uh, Michael was coming by and he was just talking to us uh, normally. But at the time, how old have I been? I think 26, 27. uh, And still already being part of Formula 1, it was still something very special to me. And I still remember uh, where I was, yeah, very nervous, very excited about. At the same time, as I said before, I had to play obviously cool because we all have to be cool in Formula (laughs) 1.
0: And they say never meet your heroes. Yet you met Michael and did he live up to expectations?
1: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And uh, it was simply great to see. If pretty much it's the same for,
0: for every Formula One driver. Uh, just normal guys. Now I'm going to push you on this because you haven't answered my question about who was your favorite BMW Williams driver. Bearing in mind, of course, that Montoya is back in the McLaren fold this year. No, I'm not keen to answer that.
1: I'm still good good friends with a lot of them. And and I know how personal I would take it.
0: (laughs) Can we move on then to the BMW Sauber era? And I'd love to get your thoughts on how different that relationship was to the BMW Williams relationship.
1: First of all, it was a big difference for myself personally, because... I started uh, on the BMW side, uh, my motorsport life in 2000, and I, I was an, an engine engineer, always working on the, on the power unit side. And then after BMW bought into Sauber, for me, it was clear I wanted to switch to, to Switzerland, to Hinwil because I wanted to get to know also the, the team side, the chassis side of things. And uh, that was a great opportunity for me uh, to go down there. I had a great time down there, I have to say. I was there between 2006 and 2009, working out there on the race team on the operational side. And uh, again, I met new people. I met a different organization also. Uh, I was quite impressed by how efficient things have been done in in Hinville with the history of the team also always being, let's say, a a private team. And to see how we were merging this with a the big corporate uh, BMW world was an interesting experience, was not always straightforward. but I still think it was a, a kind of a successful cooperation. Of course, when you look back now, many people say, look it wasn't yeah, wasn't a good chapter. Uh, wasn't a successful chapter, but uh, we shouldn't forget where we ended up in the championship in in 2008. Also, when we look even in 2009 towards the last races, I think we scored a P2, for example, in Brazil with Kubica. Down to our own performance, I think we simply would have needed more time in order to make this project a bit more successful. But for me personally, it was a yeah it was a great experience and could learn a lot in order
0: to yeah
1: simply more widen my
0: horizon. Also, had you won the championship in 2008, do you think BMW would have stayed in Formula One?
1: Uh, Difficult to say, to be honest. I mean, a lot of stuff was happening at that time. The worldwide economic crisis was was kicking in and so on. And to be honest, I was also too far away from the top guys in order to understand exactly what happened there and why the decisions have been made uh, the way they have been made.
0: Were you caught out by bmw pulling out or, or had you been given much advanced warning of what was about to happen
1: uh no we didn't have a lot of pre-warning in the middle of 2009 that was the, the announcement it was a big shock for me i have to say being part of formula one being part of that of that bubble also suddenly finding yourself in a position where the project ends and not knowing exactly what happens next was a big shock for myself as well and i have to say also at the beginning of 2010 I wasn't really sure if I can survive without being in Formula One. Luckily again, Mario Tyson gave me the chance to run the operation side of all the the touring car and GT projects done at, at BMW Motorsport, which again, I wasn't sure at the beginning if that's really what I wanted to do. But looking back now, I think it was for me um, one of the best experiences I probably could make to see different categories, to see also how you can be successful with what I have learned in Formula One by applying it to other categories, it was a lot of fun. I have to say, it was a shock. The first two three months, I thought I, I will not survive that because coming out of this fancy Porsche Formula One paddock, suddenly ending up in uh, at the Nürburgring, at the, at the Nordschleife, uh, 24 hours is a different experience. <laughs> but once I got by my head around this, I have to say, I really enjoyed it, and it, it was so great together with also some other Formula One people from uh, from the BMW times. To mix ourselves with uh, the experienced and successful GT and, and, and touring car people, it made us quite a strong team and we could actually celebrate a lot of success then together with the 24 hours of Nürburgring in in IMSA with the M3 GT at Le Mans. And then uh, yeah, the next interesting chapter came up, a project uh, preparing
0: the, the DTM return of BMW for 2012. And you talk about the big money world of Formula One, but I'm assuming when BM went DTM racing and GT racing, they weren't shunking on the money. I'm sure they were throwing a bit of cash behind those projects.
1: I wouldn't say so. Not necessarily because also there, like many other companies, also BMW had to, had to save money at the time. I think what was key to the success we, we, we could have as a, as a team there was, from my point of view, applying... What we have learned in Formula One and the school of Formula One is unique. The level of attention to detail the transparency and so on just pushes you every day to go the extra mile. And to apply everything we have learned there together with, with some colleagues and mix it with the experience which was there from the successful GT and, and, and Touring Car people at BMW brought us in a, in a very strong Position And I think that made also the difference
0: to some of the competitors we could then uh, beat. It's funny, isn't it, how you say your hero when you were younger was Michael Schumacher. The Schnitzer BMWs were what I had on my bedroom wall when I was young. I, I loved all that. For you to be doing the, the, the touring car and that side of things for BMW must have been rewarding.
1: No, absolutely. And uh, it was obviously great to to meet guys like uh, Charlie Lamb from, from Schnitzer, uh, Bobby Rahal uh, in the States, who was running the the M3 team in 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 IMSA, yeah, that was that was again a great experience. I was meeting great people, a lot of committed people, loving let's say their projects, uh, their jobs as as much as we did, and uh, was a I think a unique experience and simply showed me
0: also that there's not just the Formula One way to do things. You then go from BMW to Porsche. I just wondered, did you feel a bit of a traitor? I don't know what it's like as a, as a German, but to jump from one great German mark to another, was it controversial in any way?
1: I wouldn't say it was controversial. Uh, for me personally, obviously it was a big step because if you work for, for one company for 12 years, it's not something that, is, that you take light. But it was a unique opportunity uh, for me. Joining Porsche right at the beginning of, of the LMP project and I'd say the prospect of going to Le Mans with a, to this iconic race with a brand like like Porsche. The record winner there was just a unique opportunity and to have the possibility to be there from the first hour onwards, to have the possibility to be employee number one of my racing team. Yeah, it was was great. And uh, looking back at these years there, we had a, a sensational team there. Again, with 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 great people, committed people, uh, that were all loving the brand of Porsche. They were loving to go to Le Mans, fighting for the overall victory there. And uh, if I look back now at this chapter, it was a great chapter of my motorsport life.
0: Tell us a little more about Le Mans and, and the pressure that comes with it. Are you the kind of guy that doesn't sleep during the Le Mans 24 hours?
1: During the, the, the race, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's no time for sleeping. <laughs> uh, yeah, Le, Le Mans is... And
0: you're just getting through on yeah, adrenaline. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, you just get through with the, with the pressure, with the adrenaline. I have to say Le Mans, when I just think about it, I still get goosebumps because first of all, to drive into this iconic paddock every morning as member of the Porsche team, knowing you fight for the overall victory with the, with the big ones in this endurance sport against Audi and Toyota is, was just uh, unique seeing all these Porsche fans down there cheering for us was was great and then to get through these two weeks down there with the team because we shouldn't forget uh, the Le Mans race is not just a, a weekend uh, the Le, Le Mans race goes over pretty much two weeks and as soon as the second week starts you do not really see the garage down there as a garage anymore. It feels a bit more like a like a cage. <laughs> Together with your team, you go through such a, a roller coaster of emotions through these two weeks. You arrive then on Saturday morning for the warm up, physically already completely dead, and then you know that you still have around 30 hours to go. That is a unique physical experience as well. There's obviously a lot of pressure, also a lot of expectations from the Porsche fans worldwide, from all the Porsche employees, from the Porsche board members in order to do well because it all seems so easy from the outside. They come on Sunday, on Saturday morning to you, they clap on your shoulders saying, And we win it again. You just say, Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But at the same time, you know how difficult this race is, how difficult it is to. Just survive it, uh, despite, let's say, the best preparation because you simply need a lot of luck as well to make sure you don't have any incidents on track, to make sure the cars run reliable. But then to be in a position and have the luck also to win it three times in a row as a team, uh, yeah, was very, very special.
0: And how good was that 919 hybrid? I, I look at that car and just go, a thing of beauty, but under the bonnet, How sophisticated was it compared to what we use in Formula 1 now?
1: Well, I would say in terms of technology, it was probably even more complex uh, than a Formula 1 car. It was an all-wheel drive car, a very powerful car, very sophisticated, and it was quick. (laughs) Uh, I I have to admit, when I saw these type of cars first time, I was wondering how we will ever manage to get these cars reliable for 24 hours. I have to say also we hardly did in testing. <laughs> but somehow it worked always out on a Saturday and Sunday then at Le Mans. But it was it was a great era, I would say. These years we were taking part down there as as, as a Porsche team. Always something I will look back with uh, a lot of good, good memories.
0: And could you see Porsche in Formula 1 going forward? Did it ever get close when you were working for them?
1: Well, I don't want to speak too much about... Uh, Porsche and Formula 1, because <laughs> it just gives, gives headlines. <laughs> uh, it would simply be great, obviously, if uh, they would come back to Formula 1. But again, that's all speculation. And I think these questions are better addressed to the to
0: the people responsible now at, at Porsche. Uh, you're not going to answer that. But I can imagine one of the first people they're going to call if they do, I'm speaking to right now. Uh, Andres, what a, a phenomenal uh, era for you, that whole Porsche situation but even when you were winning Le Mans dominating did you still want to come back to Formula One was that still an itch that you wanted to scratch
1: yeah I always had this this goal to get back to Formula One and being in charge of a of a team for me Formula One after my 10 years being in Formula One uh, with BMW felt unfinished business to be honest because I think we had a lot of ingredients in place, including the budgets, in order to fight for a championship and fight for more victories. But for various reasons, uh, we didn't manage. And I have to be honest, that is still something that uh, hurts me a bit. Every every morning I wake up and uh, hopefully that's something together with the team I can correct (laughs) for myself in the next years. Formula One is the the pinnacle of, of racing and to take part in Formula One being part of the of the McLaren Formula One team is something which uh, I'm very proud of. I'm I'm willing to put a lot of energy in together with the team in the next years, trying to get back to the to the front again in Formula One.
0: And you've spoken already a lot about the the spirit at McLaren, the team spirit. But is the MTC an inspirational place to work?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think everyone who has been there probably still remembers the first time. Uh, he has seen that place and he has entered that, that place. I mean, just if you walk down the boulevard, seeing all these, these great
0: cars. Can I ask you a cheeky question? Everyone else has gone home for the evening. Have you ever walked out to the boulevard and just gone and sat in Senna's MP44 <laughs> when no one else is looking? <laughs> no, no,
1: no. no, no I've no. always wanted to yeah. do
0: that every time I go there. I
1: treat these cars with a lot of respect and dignity and I would never jump in such a car. Uh, myself risking that I break anything when jumping in or, or, or whatever.
0: A lot of people listening to this will want to know how important is the cost cap that's come in this season, twenty twenty
1: one. I guess it's not a it's not a secret uh, that we were very supportive and uh, pushing for this cost cap to come into place. Because when I look back also and compare with uh, where Formula One has been ten years ago, what simply happened over the last ten years is is, is this big gap developing between the big spenders at the front and the and the rest of the teams in the in the paddock, which simply led to a situation where for a team like us, you couldn't do Formula One anymore in a competitive way and in a financially sustainable way. And um, we're very happy that this budget cap is now in place because it will ensure us that first of all we get to a level playing field with the uh, formerly big spenders in, in Formula One in the in the future and ensures that we can do Formula One in a, in a financially sustainable way. Still, that's not a guarantee to get back to the front. Uh, Mercedes Red Bull is also where they are because they simply do a better job in, in, in terms of how they are organized, in terms of how they, they work, how they develop cars. But I think the budget cap is, is one important key element in order to go back, get back to the front.
0: How does a $145 million budget cap affect the day-to-day running of a team like McLaren, are there obvious changes compared to last year? I mean, maybe your coffee intakes had to go down a bit, Andreas. I don't know. How, <laughs> how does it work?
1: Yeah. Now, it, it changes definitely the approach uh, within the team. Uh, first of all, uh, also for a team like us, uh, with the, the budget we had in place in the past, uh, it was too high compared to where we have to be now to get to the cap. So first of all, it meant for us that we actually had to to find costs, find savings in order to be at the cap this year. Of course, the magnitude is a different one compared to the big spenders. But still, it was a a challenge with a clear focus to make sure we protect as many jobs as possible and find savings somewhere else. And in the end, what does the the, the, the cost cap mean uh, for every single member of the team? We simply have to make sure with every decision we make that we always look in detail about is it worth spending the pound for this specific, uh, let's say, development, or is it better spent somewhere else? Uh, key is efficiency in the future. We need to make sure we run our team as efficient as possible and as effective as possible in order to make sure that we yeah, spend this, uh, this amount of money that is available within the cap in the right way with a clear goal of uh, extracting maximum performance out of the team.
0: And will we see less aggressive development across the board not just at mclaren but are all teams going to have to do less development and be a little bit more selective about what they do and how many upgrades they bring to the car
1: um i wouldn't say you will find a a less let's say aggressive development Uh, i think it just needs to be more focused you just need to make your decision which direction do you go sometimes um, when you have to make uh, let's say concept decisions because for the big teams in the end, in the, in the past, you also achieved a certain level of performance by just, yeah, always hitting in different directions. And then you found out that one, one worked out. And I think in the future, you simply need to make this decision earlier, which is, which uh, direction you want to go, which direction you, you, you do believe in. And I think with us not having been a big spender in, in recent years, um, hopefully this also gives us an opportunity to get this, uh, done in a, in a better way than, uh, than the, the, the three big teams or the big spenders because for them it will be a huge challenge to get down to the cap. Uh, it will mean they have to change the way how they work quite a bit. It will be very interesting how that plays out over the next two, three years.
0: And it's going to be very interesting to see what gains McLaren make. Ah, oh, Andreas, what a wonderful chat. Thank you very much for your time. I feel there are so many takeaways from everything you've just... Uh, You just told me it's fantastic and best of luck for 2021.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot as well.
0: Wasn't Andreas fantastic? There are a number of take-home messages from that conversation. First, he is consistent in his praise of the team. Everything comes back to the greater good. And you sense that no individual is bigger than the race team. And second... He's a true enthusiast. His passion for racing and for Formula One in particular comes through in what he says. And you have to assume that passion permeates through to the rest of the team. Andreas, many thanks for your time. It was great to chat and good luck for the season ahead. And thanks too to McLaren for their help in setting this up. And it's the regular call to arms now, because I'd like you to send me any stories like chance meetings or observations that you have on Andreas, and I'll read out the best ones next week. Send them to me at tomclarksonf one or use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid. Which brings me onto what you sent in about Checo Perez after last week's show. There were some crackers, of which here are a few. Paul Harrison said we met Sergio in an Indian restaurant in Brackley a couple of times on the Saturday night before the British Grand Prix. He was always really down to earth, really friendly, and we had a good laugh with him. And I couldn't get over the fact he was out having an Indian the night before the Grand Prix. Well, Paul, that's a great story. And I'm sure Checo was hot in the race. And Majo Celis, I hope I pronounced that right, says, I once was at a pit lane walk in Mexico. You can imagine what it was like, waiting with hundreds of others for a photo opportunity or a chance to get an autograph with Checo. I was carrying my Mexican flag so Checo could sign it. When he got closer, I shouted as loud as I could, Checo, sign my flag. He stopped and with the warmest eyes and the biggest smile, he asked, Where's the flag? I was able to give it to him, he took it, he signed it, and we even exchanged some words. He is genuinely proud of being Mexican and was so glad to sign a Mexican flag. Well, that's a great story, Maggio. And Checo is never on better form than when he's racing at home. And let's do one more, Maurizio Goitotua, who says, Our family was in Guadalajara eating breakfast at a street food cart called Tortas Profe when all of a sudden an SUV pulls up and out comes Checo Perez. Super nice, got his food, took some pictures with everyone. Thanks, Maurizio. That is another great story. And it simply highlights what a great guy Checo is. Let's all wish him well with Red Bull this year. I absolutely loved reading those and all the other stories you shared. And I really hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And please keep sending over your feedback because we love it. Well, I'll be back next week with a bit of a fan favourite. So see you then. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom. Until next time, keep it flat out.